0: What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club.
1: So diagnose the issue. Is your leader a micromanager? Are they giving you only negative feedback when you want a mix of, critic, you know, positive and negative? Figure out what it is. Write down examples of their behavior and come up with a potential solution. Go to them first. I, know, I don't recommend going around their back and going to HR and doing this, doing that. It tends to tends to like blow up in your face because HR will defend the manager 99% of the time. So go directly to your manager and say, hey. It's been hard for me to do my job well because of X, Y, Z. Don't make it about them. Don't be like, I don't like that you do this. This part of your personality doesn't work for me. It's always about how it's impacting your ability to do your job.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we're diving deep with Sam DeMace, an internationally recognized career coach and self-advocacy expert who has transformed the way women navigate the corporate world. And today we're all gonna unpack the evolution of the corporate landscape and how to build your self-advocacy and confidence in a workplace. So Sam, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: All right, before we start, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about you, um, like who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. So I'm a career coach. I help women land their dream jobs and land super high salaries. I teach self-advocacy as a cornerstone of all of my work. So essentially, um, I help someone who's maybe experiencing imposter syndrome, maybe experiencing an inability to articulate their achievements in a way that they want to. And I help you transform that into something really powerful. So that way you can own your narrative, own your story and advocate for what you're worth. And how'd you get into that? So I got into that learned by doing. I was uh, 13 plus years, a corporate girly myself uh, in HR, people leadership roles, leadership development roles, recruiting and training and development. And I worked exclusively in male-dominated industries, like most industries are. Um, And I learned by doing how to kind of advocate for myself each step of the way through trial and error. And when things started to work, I took notes. I started coaching my friends on the side. And I had one friend who came to me and said, I used your script and my salary just went up $40,000. And I was like, okay, so, so this is working. I need to start sharing this information more broadly. I need to start putting this out there because my friends were resonating with it. So that's when I went bigger with it and decided to start posting on social media. And I ended up growing a following from zero in the pandemic to 650,000 plus today.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It just shows you, it's awesome, but it's also like sad because it shows you that there's so many people that resonated with that message. That was really hungry, for that advice. Um, but now it's amazing cause you, they finally have it, um, and you give it to them. So what an amazing journey that you've been on and like helping that many people. That's awesome. I'm curious, like in your observation, how has the corporate landscape transformed over the past decade? Um, specifically concerning women
1: yeah, so I think the number one thing I'm seeing that's exciting is having conversations like the one we're having now. It, it's is what has changed a lot, I think, in the past decade. I don't recall talking about this as much even ten years ago when I was first starting in corporate. My family didn't teach me how to advocate for myself at work. My college didn't teach me how to do that. Nobody taught me how to do that years ago, and I think now we're actually having these conversations about things that used to just be closed door things. So, to hear people talk about salary openly, which I'm very big on salary transparency, to hear people talk about calling out toxic bosses openly on social media, in InkMag, in Forbes, you know, having these dialogues on a broader scale, we're bringing it to the culture rather than it being this thing that we're not talking about. So, I think just the transparency around conversations of what we're willing to accept or not accept in a workplace, how we can set boundaries for ourselves and how we can make more money and, you know, actively talk about ways we can push past challenges there. That's been a really big change that I'm happy to see.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, as I said before, I'm a mom of four and I used to have this expression until my seven-year-old, but she called me out at five. I said, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And that was my expression. For, for everything. Yeah. And not, not, I mean, not everything, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you get what you get. You don't get upset. And then a couple of years ago, my five-year-old like called me out on it and was like, well, that's not what you tell the women on your podcast. <laughs> oh, facts though. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Ray Ray. Okay. And I have, I've stopped saying it because it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's other ways that we can say it, but just those little things and someone like me where I am very, Hey, it's all about negotiation. Don't exchange time for money. And I teach my kids this, but think about someone maybe who just is not as passionate as that, or doesn't have that viewpoint from a really early age. We're teaching our children that concept and they take that concept into elementary school, middle school, high school, college, career. And so glad my five-year-old called me out on it, but not a lot of people would, right? Yeah. You're calling out like a really important
1: point too around like how we were raised. Like I think us as girls, especially when we were younger, we were raised with this mentality of like, you know, kind of keep it quiet, take it easy, accept what you've been given, um, be grateful, express gratitude, say thank you, kiss your uncle, do this, do that. And we just like did what we were told to do. And we didn't see any other option. At least that's how I was raised. Um, nowadays, mm-hmm. I have boundaries. I'm not kissing anybody I don't know. I'm not going near anybody I don't know. I'm asking for more money. I, you know, it's it's a way different mindset now. It's you know, there's obviously a lot of societal implications and differences around the way uh, kids of different genders get are raised. And now these days, we're challenging that. We're we're kind of making some moves, making some progress. It definitely takes time, but. Yeah, us as girls, we were, I think, more likely to experience imposter syndrome, which is why women um, around mm-hmm. my age are likely to experience it today. But yeah, I think imposter syndrome is another thing that kind of has a false reputation. I think
0: it's, I think it's something different than what we think it is. I agree with that. That could be a whole other podcast in yeah. itself. <laughs> yeah. I've had several people on this, like it there is no such thing as imposter syndrome. And then the person that just like spends, spends their whole entire career on getting people out of imposter syndrome. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll bring you back and talk about that. <laughs> that'll be that'll
1: be around two. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we we talk about our generation. Um, I think like millennial, Gen Z, et cetera. I'm curious, especially Gen Z, like what's the impact that they have on corporate world? Yeah, as me as
1: someone who's a millennial, I am so grateful to Gen Z for the ways in which they have been bold and have been, you know, very vocal about some of these things going on in corporate. Um, it's really cool. And it really shows the generational divide that exists between boomers, millennials and Gen Z because boomers are like, sit down, be quiet, just be grateful. Don't complain. Millennials were like pushing the button a little bit, you know, setting some boundaries, you know, paving the way for Gen Z to really open up the dialogue. And now Gen Z is saying, I'm not working for a company that doesn't respect my boundaries. I'm not working for a toxic boss. I want to work remote. I want to have another job at the same time as this job. I want two full-time jobs and a side gig. I like the no rules. I'm a big fan of no rules and just punching through the holes in things that once were solid. Like, I think let's let's really mix it up. And we have it really hard, millennials and Gen Zers. I also have it really hard economically, financially. So I, I'm really proud of the way Gen Z has been vocal about advocating for themselves in the workplace.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I was just talking to someone about this specifically where I feel like that boomer, even like late stage millennial, I'm also a millennial, but I think I'm a little bit more eye open millennial, very like therapy, pro, (laughs) pro therapy, pro boundaries, et cetera. But anyway, I was talking to someone because I personally believe this whole thing of like quiet quitting and all those other fancy gaslighting terms that are being developed by just that older millennial boomer generation. It's just another way to gaslight and manipulate younger generations to make them feel bad because they are setting those boundaries and saying, this is my job description, this is my salary, I'll give you that Mm -hmm. because that is what you are asking for. And now it's like, oh, all these people are quiet quitting because they're not working, they're not hustling. It's like, no, they just don't want to do what you had to do. And instead, you're like... Instead of accepting that and saying, yeah, that sucked. Let me make it better for you. It's like you're manipulating and gaslighting and blaming. And the, you. we have to be careful for those terms because they're quite, they're frequent and they they keep coming up. And I see it on LinkedIn a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And that's, it's so real. Like it's, it's super real that, that idea of like, the boomer generation, like expressing, it's like their way of expressing, you know, sort of discomfort and and maybe an unhappiness that we are starting to stand up for ourselves because we went to therapy. So now they're kind of yeah. like, well, that's it's not supposed to be that easy, you know. So now there's this like discord, <laughs> you know. It's like mm-hmm. it's yeah. So I think you're totally right.
0: So even with the the challenges um, still being faced. Uh, like, we still face challenges, even despite all of this progress that we've made. And I think, I think with women, we definitely feel that. There's something magical about seeing your kids take on the world, especially when it comes to business. For me, teaching my children about entrepreneurship is not just a lesson, it's a legacy. My son, AJ, has caught the bug early and started his own venture. And guess what? He is killing it. And he loves Shopify, both online and on the go with their POS systems when he's taking his sales face to face. It's like watching a mini CEO in action, and it's all thanks to Shopify. Now let's dive in into why Shopify is the talk of the town. It's the global commerce platform that's got your back at every stage of your business. From day one of launching your online shop, Right up to that mind-blowing moment when you hit a million dollars, Shopify is the wind beneath your entrepreneurial wings. Whether AJ is selling his AJ eats and treats, or I'm marketing my podcast merchandise, Shopify helps us sell everywhere. Their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system mean we're always open for business no matter what. Let's talk about checkout. Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other e-commerce platforms. That's not just sales, that's science. But here's the real kicker. Shopify magic, your AI-powered psychic, helps you sell more with less effort. If you think this all sounds like it's reserved for the big leaguers, think again. Shopify powers a staggering 10% of all e-commerce in the United States from up-and-coming entrepreneurs to giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen. Shopify's the force behind the mall in 175 countries, no less. And when you need a helping hand, Shopify's extensive help resources are right there, ready to support your journey to the top. Are you ready to take this leap? Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bbb. Don't just dream about success, make it happen with Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash BBB, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash BBB to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Just imagine hearing that sweet sound of success. I'm curious, from your perspective, despite all of our progress, what are the common Challenges that you hear women still facing in the corporate environment?
1: Yeah, right now I would say it's definitely the gender pay gap and the gender promotion gap. I mean, if we just look at data, even though we've come quite far in a lot of ways, women still are only holding 35% of senior leadership roles while men are holding 65%, even though women account for over half the labor force in the US. So those numbers are very telling. And I think that a lot of that is a result of. Uh, a phenomenon where people promote people who remind them of themselves, which is a psychological, rooted in psychology. So it's essentially like men promote men because they remind them of themselves. Like Jimmy promotes Ken because they go golfing together or they both have like a dad who worked on wall street or like whatever it is, they have things in common. They're they're both dads, you know? So the book, bu- the good old boys club thing is not just like rhetoric. It's actually reality, but, and it's, it's the psychological phenomenon of promoting people who are similar to you. So when you have mostly men at the top, like I just said, 65%, that is only going to continue unless men and people who aren't women actively push against those norms and start mentoring, uplifting and promoting women. They have to make a conscious decision to, uh, to ally with us and bring us up. We won't get anywhere without that allyship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had an interesting interaction um, this past year, like earlier this year. um, I have my own business and I have a variety of clients. And one of my clients made a comment that was just so mind blowing to me. And they said we were in a room together and they were talking about their profitability and their expenses. And they looked at me and they're like, you know, I feel like today, if I got rid of you and then named two other women, that it would have absolutely no impact on my business today. And I, and and I'm kind of over it. I'm in this stage of my life where I'm just like, yeah, you know, just don't talk to me like that. Um, And so I stood up, I packed my things and I said, okay then, goodbye. I love that. And he, and he was just like, whoa, whoa, why are you getting, why are you taking it so extreme? I'm just saying theoretically. And I was like, well, theoretically, You can do all of this without me, and I am going and I'm impacting your profitability. And you say that for three to six months, your business won't feel it, then I don't need to be here. And I just packed up my stuff and I left. And he called and apologized, and we fixed it. We fixed that mindset. But I think without someone calling this out, without someone showing that that comment, and that viewpoint is not fair, accurate, just, et cetera, then that behavior continues. And I think that's why I love the Gen Z environment and addition into the corporate world is that we are, we are, how am a millennial, they are, but also me, because um, I call it out, are comfortable with who we are and our worth, that we don't need to take that as like, wow, my boss doesn't think I'm valuable. He doesn't think I'm in- impactful or worthy. I need to work harder. And I'm like, okay, if you don't want me, like, I'll just go find somebody else. Um, but It's like calling that out, right? As women, and we do you don't have to be so dramatic. You don't have to quit. Although I felt like I needed to do that. And also I was ready to just, I don't care, I need your money. Um, but I think calling it out and saying like, whoa, that, is that, that's a microaggression or that is uncalled for. That's not in, or that's inappropriate. Or just be like, let's dive into that comment. Why do you think that? Totally.
1: That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Because like, it's things like that, that prove that like, this is still happening now. And I'm similar to you in the sense that I like to call things out in the moment and I don't care about awkwardness. I don't care about any of that. Like I care about moving the, the female agenda forward. So I will always just call something out in the moment. Like, for example, I had worked with someone who referred to a female team member of mine as like condescending. Like one of your mm-hmm. one of your team members is, is condescending. Can you address that with her? My team finds her condescending. You know, and I wrote back and said, like, hey, can you elaborate on what you mean and share a behavioral example of how she was condescending? Because I don't find her to be that way. I find her to be a super confident leader. And so does everybody else. And given the feedback that I recently got on her work and I copied in that person's boss. And the response was, guess what? There was no example of her yeah. being condescending because she was just being a confident leader and it was biased language. So then I engaged that person in a conversation about biased language and how it can be harmful, you know, in a nice way, sort of like, yeah, educational in way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So like, similar to what you said, like just calling out the elephant in the room when something happens like that.
0: Yeah, I like that. That kind of plays off to the next question I have in terms of like mentorship and why as women, it's really important to support other women and you can support one-on-one like that person that uh, you said, she, so I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that she's a woman, um, that she could have easily had that conversation with the other woman one-on-one to express her feelings and said, look, I feel this way. Um, it's your tone. It's the way that I'm addressed. And and I bet you the other party would have, like, reflected on it, right? Um, and thought about that or thank you for your feedback or whatever. But instead, sh- that woman that was calling the leader out did it in an email, CC'd other people, did it in, like, this public, like, it's, like, public but you're behind a computer so it's not public you know it's like this like really passive aggressive way to give that feedback so I'd love to hear from you in terms of one mentorship why is this a key component and two why do women need to support women in moments like those
1: Totally. And that particular story, and I probably didn't make this clear, but it happened to be a man that was calling out my female employee um, about that piece. But like, I've had that same instance where it's not a man and it happens to be a woman. Like, you know, Mm. it happens. It happens. But like, yeah, in my personal experience, it's mostly been men who use biased language and are offenders in terms of that. But yeah, I think like in terms of mentorship, women and women mentorship is important women and non-women mentorship is important. I think the the best thing to do is find somebody who has complementary superpowers to yours and get them to be your mentor. So, I help women in my coaching figure out what their superpowers are and then when it's time to find a mentor, find somebody who has different superpowers that are complementary so you can gain those skills. So, for me, I have superpowers in advocating for myself, you know, confidence, public speaking, Things of that nature. So I like to help women who maybe struggle with some of those things, like speaking up in meetings or knowing how to ask for a raise properly. I like to be a situational mentor. You know, when when women find themselves in those uh, types of struggles. Um, so I would say, like, I always recommend for women and anybody at work, get yourself a situational mentor if you need it. You don't necessarily need a mentor for the long haul unless you want one for your career. I prefer situational mentorship because it has a goal and a purpose and it feels really urgent and satisfying. Sometimes with mentorship, it can feel like, where is this going? Who is driving this? Like, what is, why are we together here? What what brought us here today? So I think having a a really important um, topic at hand and a goal to hit helps with mentorship too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great call out. And I like the idea of situational mentorship. So you don't feel like you have one person, right? Um, find the people that have done the things that you want to do so that they can mentor you on them. Um, yes. Let's talk about workplace flexibility. This one kind of hit home for me. I am a mama of four. I do run my household for the most part. Uh, we had a baby about 15 months ago and, um, you know, I got good maternity leave and I felt bad for my husband because one, got pretty meh. Paternity leave, and he mm. is super active with the baby, and I just I, I think there's a gap there. It goes both ways, um, but before we get into that, let's talk about flexibility. Like I wrote a huge post about this, about like when a mom leaves early to go uh, see her kid's game, she is not committed, but when a dad leaves early to go see his kid's game he's applauded for having the best work-life balance. Like there's a whole list of 20 of these scenarios that really hit home for me. Mm. Why is this still an issue?
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think what you're describing is referred to um, in in my realm of work as the motherhood penalty in in corporate. So, and the motherhood penalty has a long list of unfortunate consequences, which are completely unfair um, and mostly affecting women. And obviously non-women can be parents, but it's called the motherhood penalty because it mainly affects uh, women. And one of the main things I think about when I think of the motherhood penalty is that it, it it makes you make fifty eight cents for every dollar paid to fathers when you're under that penalty. So, and over the course of your career, right? So it's like you're losing out on that for so many reasons. Um, some of it is societal, like you were speaking to, like the idea that a father isn't contributing to a partnership in the same way that a mother is, if it's a hetero relationship. Um, but yeah, the motherhood penalty is also anecdotally like seen in corporate in exactly the way you described like if you're a mom who leaves work early, oh are you not committed to your work? If you're a dad who leaves work early, what a great dad who takes care of his kid. It's the same perception that we might have had years ago is still pervasive today. And I hear stories all the time from followers of mine, from people in my community, like people still talk about these things being prevalent today in terms of the motherhood penalty. Um so I think what we can do is continue to push back and challenge those things in the moment when they happen. And ask those questions, like, "Hey, did you want to say that again? Did you want to repeat that? Can you yeah. say that for, can you say that one more time? You know I find like asking people to repeat things makes them confront the words that are coming out of their mouth and to maybe reckon with the bias that could be uh, being made. So I like to do that. I also just like to have honest conversations. Just say, "Hey, like, is that something you would have said if I were a man?" You know, just really being real about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like the repeating and you don't have to be like, what'd you say? You you don't have to be an asshole, but just being like, sorry, I don't think I heard that right. What did you say? Um, And I think it goes back to that whole like Mel Robbins Ted talk about the five second countdown, right? Like before you say something or do something, count five, four, three, two, one, and engage your frontal uh, lobe or whatnot. Sometimes asking that, to asking someone to repeat something then all of a sudden they have to stop think and be like wow shitty that was the shitty thing I said um totally I'm so sorry I I meant this um and then it's just like calling out it's having accountability and being responsible for comments that you're making um so I love that I'm totally gonna steal that (laughs) (laughs) great um all right glass ceiling is this still a thing for women
1: yeah, especially women of color. Um, glass ceiling is still a thing. Uh, if you look at the, the data is out there, you know, women in leadership, uh, the gender pay gap, it's, it's at its worst for, for women of color and women at large. Um, it's still real. We're still pushing against it every day. I think it's the reason why I have a career in doing what I do is because people want to talk about this and want to engage allies in the conversation. I think what needs to change now is some of the language around like, Let's empower women to use their voices and ask for more. We already know how to do that. That's been done. We do that. I do that as well. But more of what the work I do is, is to call on allies and shed light on what women are actually experiencing so that allies can step in and help us change that. Because without that, nothing is going to change. Women have been speaking up. We have been asking for what we want. It's been happening What's not happening is everybody else getting on board. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not Uh happening. So like, that's like a larger part of the message for me is what, is what I'm trying to communicate when I, you know, post videos or when I share things. And some of it is practical advice for women because some of us don't have it yet. Like you said earlier, like it has not made its way to all of us yet. So it is my responsibility. I feel to like put it all out there for free and like put hours and hours of video content out there for free. And part of it is to like, tell allies, mainly men, to wake up and and please promote women on your team. If you look around the room and it's you and five other men on a core project, bring a woman in, bring four women in, bring a woman of color into that project. If you're only promoting men, change that. And I say this because this is every organization I ever worked at Like looked like this. Like It was mainly yeah. women at the bottom and mostly men at the top. And I know a lot of people can relate to that and see that. So that's, I think, where we're headed next. If I have my yeah. my wishes, we're going in a positive direction, hopefully.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it can even start even smaller because um, I feel like most people are like, well, that's very burdensome. <laughs> um, but I think about um, salary transparency. You said you're a bit big advocate for it. I was just talking to a, a friend that I'm semi-mentoring and she's trying to get a job, but she was like, I get to all, all the way to the end of the interview. And then, you know, they tell me I'm like way above their budgets. Like, why waste my time? And I'm like, why, why are you wasting your time? You know, I'm like, you are the owner of your time. And in the first interview, you should be asking them what the budget is, what their salary expectations are. And anybody that tells you they don't have one is a fucking liar. Because in order to get any headcount approved, you have to have a budget. Someone is a, is approving it, unless it's like a legitimate startup that's super scrappy. But anything other than that, if you're doing like two to... Th- million or more a year, guess what? Someone is approving that headcount budget. And do you really want to work for someone who doesn't have that budget or won't tell you? The answer is no. So move on. Don't waste your time. Um, And I think in terms of that allyship that, uh, allyship that you're talking about is if you're on the other side of that, if you're the hiring manager, if you're the recruiter, if you're the one posting the post on LinkedIn, make it clear what your salary expectations are for the rest of everyone else. like That's a really simple thing to do um, that you can do and have a really big impact. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of salary transparency. Um, I think that helps everybody, even yourself. You don't have to waste your time for people that don't fit your salary need. I finally did it. I finally put an air doctor right by my kitchen. The magic and mayhem happen. You know, we spend 90% of our time indoors, and here’s a shocking fact: The air inside can be two to five times more polluted than outside, sometimes even a hundred times. With almost 165 million of us living in areas with unhealthy air quality, according to the latest census, it’s no wonder why we worry about the air we breathe. Nearly 7 million premature deaths a year are due to air pollution. We take around 20,000 breaths daily. That's a lot of air. And when I'm cooking, the amount of pollutants is just astounding. I mean, cooking should be about aromas, not worrying about airborne allergens like pollens or pet danders or the chemicals. But here's the game changer, Air Doctor. It's not just me raving about it. Big names like CNN and ABC are talking about this purifier that uses an ultra-hepa filter which catches 99.99% of of harmful particles. And check this out. Their Air Doctor 3000 can purify the air in a 630 square foot room four times each hour. And with its whisper jet fans that are 30% quieter than others, I was skeptical at first, but I've seen the difference. The air feels fresher and in my mind, well, it's blown. If you're nodding along thinking, I need this in my life, then here's an offer you can't miss. Try Air Doctor risk-free for 30 days, and if it doesn't transform your space, send it back, no questions asked, just minus the shipping. So are you ready to breathe easier? Visit airdoctorpro.com and use my promo code BBB for up to 40% off or up to $300 off depending on the model airdoctorpro.com, A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use my promo code BBB. Trust me, your lungs will thank you. One common thing that I probably get a lot from my personal direct messages is like, how do I build this confidence in these challenging situations? So I feel like women often feel the need to overprepare to prove themselves, especially if they're working male-dominated um, settings. But how can they build this confidence? How can women build and exude confidence even when they might not have all the answers or have all the expertise?
1: Totally. I think it's a few little ingredients. One is a little pinch of delusion, uh, which is how <laughs> yes. I started. And I still roll with that. I think like you need to be a little delusional. Like the Gen Z is saying, you know, delulu is the salulu. So be a little <laughs> delusional and I carry that. that with you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a thing right now. And it resonates. Um, that I still use it today. I still feel like I have a, like a pinch of delusion in, in everything. Cause I want to be like, so confident that I'm acting. <laughs> you know, like I, I it just helps me it helps me feel the power it helps me embrace it another thing I always recommend people to do is Be yourself and be in an, a mode that makes you feel the most to you before you mm-hmm. go into a, a situation that requires confidence I actually just made a video about this that I haven't posted yet But basically it's like I listen to beyonce before I need to do anything important and all of a sudden i'm doing it better So if I had to do a presentation, a salary negotiation, a brand, you know, partnership talk, whatever, I'm listening to Beyonce beforehand. And I have the data that I do better when I listen to Beyonce beforehand. So there's something to that. There's something to that. Do what makes you feel you before you jump into a a situation that's going to be challenging. And then the last piece is confidence is a decision. We choose Mm. to be confident. It's not something you have to build, work on, study, read eight books, choose it. And channel it when you need to. I'm definitely not confident 100% of the time. When I turn it on is when I am. So when I make the decision to do that, I don't take it lightly.
0: Yeah, yeah. It goes back to that whole you experience what you believe. And if you believe that you're not good enough and you're not valued and you're not those things, then that's what you are. Um, and the minute you say I'm a badass basic bitch, <laughs> 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 then uh, then you are that um, totally. I I love the Beyonce suggestion. I'm a bit. I was a big athlete growing up, and God, how many times did I put my headphones on, listen to my play music so I can hype myself up, no yes. matter what I was doing? And I and I never thought about like, oh, maybe a big meeting or a big thing that I have to tackle. Doing that, I love yeah. that suggestion. What would you be putting on? What would be in your headphones? Oh man, I I'm I like Tupac. <laughs>
1: Great. Perfect. Great answer. Do that <laughs> next time you have something big coming up. That's perfect.
0: Yeah, I will. Um, I love that. Especially like for for women or people that that are about to ask for more money, you know, like go find a song that's all about like Confidence and your bad yes. bitch, or hey Rihanna, what is Rihanna. that? Bitch, better give me that money. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Bitch like play, have play my money. <laughs> uh, basically any Rihanna, also basically. hard,
1: hard Porta bitch, better have my money. Any Rihanna applies. Any Rihanna,
0: yeah, literally any. Just play Rihanna. Yes. Um, okay, actually, you could probably even play Rihanna before you address this next thing: toxic bosses. Um, I have definitely had some really toxic bosses in fact i quit well she wasn't really a boss of mine she was like an indirect player boss but i quit because one i didn't have to work and then two so i was like very very privileged to not have to work because of my financial situation but i also was like it's this money is not worth being treated like this and talked like this. And like, it's just not worth it. And I don't care if I don't have a dime for three months. I'd rather eat into my savings and allow you to speak speak like this to me one more day. So let's talk about toxic bosses, because here's the sad situation. I understand that... I am privileged in the sense that I can talk like that and think like that and act like that. Most people don't have that. Most people are working paycheck to paycheck and they have to stick with the toxic boss. I would love for you to tell them how to navigate these situations.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I go into a lot of detail in this in my book, Power Mood, um, about the different archetypes of toxic bosses that keep popping up, what those are Mm. and how to deal with each one specifically. But broadly, I'll say this, you need to, number one, consider having an open dialogue with them. Usually most clients that I talk to, most people who follow me have not taken that step yet. And that's always where I encourage folks to start is to Approach them with an open dialogue around the problem and be solution oriented. So diagnose the issue. Is your leader a micromanager? Are they giving you only negative feedback when you want a mix of critic, you know, positive and negative? Um, figure out what it is. Write down examples of their behavior and come up with a potential solution. Go to them first. I know I don't recommend going around their back and going to HR and doing this, doing that. It tends to, tends to like blow up in your face because HR will defend the manager. 99% of the time. So go directly to your manager and say, Hey, it's been hard for me to do my job well because of X, Y, Z. Don't make it about them. Don't say like, I don't like that you do this. This part of your personality doesn't work for me. It's always about how it's impacting your ability to do your job. Yeah. So it's hey, you the micromanagement is not setting me up for success, or it is not allowing me to do my job the way that my job description is outlined. I'd like to propose these solutions to try. Can we try this for the next thirty days and see what the work output looks like? That's always step one. Is is radical transparency. Uh, there are further steps you can take beyond that. So if if it doesn't go anywhere from there, they're not willing to change. They're not willing to try anything new. They get worse. I always recommend setting a goal date to quit. Some of us are lucky where we can quit and just ride on the savings or do whatever we can. A lot of us can't. So set a goal date. I want to quit by December 15th. And that gives you the opportunity and the mindset to start applying heavily. And I always recommend when you do that, when you set your date, do the bare minimum at work. You know, do the absolute bare minimum at that job so you can focus your energy on the application process because it's too hard to give everything to a toxic boss and a toxic job and everything yeah. to the application process. Something's got to give. So do start doing the bare minimum because the boss is doing the bare minimum for you. So return that favor and apply like crazy and, and hit that deadline so you can quit. I also recommend talking to a therapist, talking to friends, because having a toxic boss is one of the things that can weigh so heavily on your mental health and emotional yeah. well-being. So that's always the other thing I recommend is like talk to a trusted friend, vent, talk to a therapist, like get all of this off your chest because sometimes I spend half my sessions with clients or with them sort of venting to me about a toxic boss situation. And like, I'm I'm there yeah. for that. I know what to say. I'm trained, but like it is it is better suited for a therapist. So I think like that piece is so important.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of setting a date I think I'm going to add to that is um my experience with toxic bosses and mentoring um people who who have experience with toxic bosses is that it can come in waves and sometimes it's heavy and sometimes it's light. When it's light, don't stop applying mm-hmm. and looking. Like don't only do this when it's heavy. Um and I think that's just the biggest advice because I've definitely worked with women in particular that have been like, well, no, things actually have gone a lot better at work. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll talk to you in a month when they're not. Mm-hmm. And then they're not. And then you're pausing your applications, your interviews, everything. And then you just have this like ongoing wave. So don't, don't stop once you make that date decision. I agree with
1: that. That's 100%. Something else you can do is like also band together with your colleagues and, and form a united front. I think as women, especially yeah. sometimes we go it alone. We're like, I'm yeah. alone in this suffering. This is mine, this is my burden to bear. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take this on and suffer silently for a year. Talk to your colleagues about it if you trust them. If you have trusted colleagues around you, if you feel other women you trust, like if you find this boss to be horribly toxic, you're not the only one. So yeah. I would have that conversation with trusted colleagues so that way it's a united front when you're going to them with solutions or when you're doing an email, everyone is copied. So everyone's the same messaging, united front. We're in this together when we're proposing solutions or challenges or questions to this toxic boss. That's the last yeah. thing I'll say about that, but
0: yeah. I like that a lot, yes. And keyword, if you trust them. Keywords. If, you trust, if them. you trust them.
1: Key, <laughs> key, yeah.
0: <laughs> like test it, you know, test them with something that doesn't matter and see if it gets back to you. Let's talk about it, these increasing workloads. It can be really daunting. And I am still learning uh, techniques and boundaries for this because I am a plate piler just by habit by nature that is me, um, and I'd love to hear from you like how can women confidently communicate the boundaries or request support when all of a sudden their job description was this you know five bullets and all of a sudden they're doing a hundred different things and getting paid the same.
1: Totally, yeah, and I'm like a former plate piler recovered. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I totally relate to that. A lot of clients come to me with this exact question. Like I have this job and now my job is this, what do I do about this? And a lot of us like wait until we're at the breaking point. So my number one advice is do not wait. As soon as you notice your job description does not resemble what you're doing and it starts to pile on, try to catch it then. Um, if you can, if you can't, it's doable whenever. But essentially, what you would want to do is put together a business case. And I help people do this all the time. A business case is a list of your achievements with metrics, the ways you impacted the business uh, in the past year, the things you're most proud of. Anywhere you can tie those back to broader company goals, broader organizational goals, strategic goals, the better. And then a list of duties that you're doing that fall outside the scope of your current role. So those two pieces make a business case. And then you present that to your leader and you say, based on my achievements and the impact I've made on the business, as well as this list of 10 ways I'm working outside my scope currently, I'm asking for this salary and this title. Will you advocate for me to make that happen? And that's my favorite phrase to use in those scenarios.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like that. The technique that I've been using, well, especially now that it, I have like this client switching, right? And then all of a sudden cl- like scope, right? Same thing as workload. So there's a couple of things that I do is if, if I'm getting piled on, I'll be like, okay, this is a lot. Let's spend a half an hour to go over stuff, and then I am like, what are the things you want me to handle? And they'll list them all out, and I'll be like, okay, now on a, you have X hours a week. Let's divide up these hours. How many hours do you want me to spend for each of these things? The first one, and they always get so mad. They're like, oh well, yeah, it's like one hour, two hours, you know, I'll, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, what, what am I, what am I doing? one hour a week for this. And do you really want, do you think really one hour a week is really going to make an impact for you? Are you sure you don't want to bundle it somewhere? Um, And like a lot of the times I get a lot of pushback because they start to realize that, oh shit, this is like 50 hours and I only have you for 10. Okay, let's figure out what I want. But it's just like a less aggressive way to just say, well, how many hours do you think? And if they're like, well, how many hours do you think? And I'm like, well, I think I would need 10. No, this is simple. Okay, so two hours. What What am I doing in those mm-hmm. two hours? And yes. I think just pushing back on that feels more collaborative than like two hours. Pfft, I'm not going to get anything done in two hours. And then all of a sudden it's like escalation. And so you have to like de-escalate. Um, that's worked yeah. for me. So
1: that's really interesting. I do similar things too. in like my consulting type work or like working with brands, I always have to like parse things out into hours just for my own knowledge of how much to charge on contracts and things like that. So I I relate to exactly what you're saying. And for people with jobs, I do percentages for them. So we'll do like, if your new role is going to be leadership, what percentage is leadership and strategic goal, uh, goal planning? What percentage is managing a team? What percentage is executing tasks that you used to do? And then we percentage everything out and make them a new job description. And then it's like, my job used to be this. Here's what it is now broken down by percentages. So that helps helps leadership visualize things a lot of the times when Leaders don't give you the job description. We make it ourselves and we say, "Here's what it is. Here's what I'm going to yeah. be doing." So, I help a lot of clients do that.
0: Well, and what's interesting about that, like I like the percentage, um, but at the end of the day, you can break everything into hours, but what I like yeah. about that is like let's say you're a manager and and part of leadership is meeting with your direct reports one-on-one for an hour every week, but then you have six direct reports. Laying it out, it's like, "Well, 10% to be a leader, like that's not enough time. That's four hours a week and you want me to meet with six people one hour at a time. So we need to increase that, you know, like really breaking it down to understand because sometimes it's either be like, oh, 10%. That seems like nothing. Yeah. Okay. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like your math, your math isn't mathing. Like what's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love that you do that because I think that's the most important thing is just breaking it down in whatever fashion works for you and doing it in a collaborative way with your manager or whoever's setting those expectations with you. Like you can't do it with yourself. You have to do it together. I know that you talked about your book. I would love for you to tell listeners a little bit more about your, your power mood book, your workbook, any other resources that you offer, um, for ones that are like looking for more support. Totally. Um, So yeah, so I have two books. The Power
1: Mood book is the first one. And then the Power Mood workbook follows it up so you can get hands-on with everything that you learned from the main book. But my goal with the book Power Mood was to give women every single tool possible to be able to advocate for themselves in the workplace and to explain and tell stories around why things are the way they are currently. I also pepper in some personal stories from my own corporate drama history that, um, all my friends can relate to. Um, a lot of people in my community relate to say like, Oh, I've been through this exact same thing with a toxic boss. So we're all having the same experiences. We're just not necessarily talking about them a ton, which is starting to change. But yeah, so the book is broken down into different sections, um, and helps you at every stage of your career, whether it's crafting your resume, your cover letter, Uh, what to say during a salary negotiation to get what you're worth. And then it goes into imposter syndrome, boundary setting, standing up to toxic bosses. And then at the end, people first leadership for managers. I will eventually write a separate book around people first leadership because it's a really big passion of mine, but we touch on it at the end of the book. Yeah. So it's, it's really fun. There's also the power mood playlist. Every single chapter of the book kicks off with one of my favorite songs that I like to play to boost my confidence. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, you'll like, you'll love it. Check it out. Um, and I can send you a link. I'll send you a link to the playlist too after this on Spotify. Um, so yeah, so that's the Power Mood book. If you want to learn how to hack the corporate system and get what you're worth, I'm, I'm trying to cr- get the book to kind of like crack into the upper echelons of Amazon where every single career book is written by a man. I wish that was an exaggeration. I really yeah. wish. There are a few really good ones written by women. They're not in there. Um, luckily, mine has been at number one a couple of times in my category um, on Amazon, but there's still progress to be made. So I want I want every woman to have this book, no joke. Um, and other resources, I have hours upon hours of free video content on TikTok and Instagram at A Power Mood of content around how to advocate for yourself at work. And I also have a mailing list if you want to get tips that are not found on my social media. That's also the place where I typically answer your questions. So anyone's career questions that kind of come in, I'll answer via newsletter. So you can join that at apowermood.com.
0: That's awesome. And then one thing I ask everyone on the podcast If you could have anyone listening get one piece of advice from today's episode, what would it be?
1: My one piece of advice would be never be the one to say no to yourself. Mm -hmm. Someone else can tell you, but never tell yourself no before trying.
0: Oh, I love that. That's good advice. Thank you so much, Sam, for being with us. Really appreciate it. Definitely go check out all of these amazing resources that she has. Um, Yeah, and, and great conversation. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Brianna. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at BadassBasicBitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week.